right, welcome on to another episode of We The Scenario. I'm your host, Tony Siona, alongside the encounter, Ms. Maggie B. Before we get started, I have to give big love and gratitude to my team here at We The Scenario. Even during a pandemic, social unrest, and political bombs, we have not taken our foot off the gas. I'm extremely proud to be a part of this family. Now today, our guest has an incredible resume. Chief Executive Officer of United Pharmacy in Berkeley, California, a consultant pharmacist for the City of Berkeley Clinic, an alumni of the University of California School of Pharmacy, as well as the University of California Geriatric Institute. Please join me in welcoming the very talented Dr. Pam. Thank you for joining us today, my dear. Thank you. We're going to get deep into this resume, but before we do that, I'm going to let Ms. Maggie take the floor. Ms. Maggie B. All right. Thank you so much. Um, so welcome again. And to get started, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do and then what inspired you to join us today? Okay, like I said, I'm a clinical pharmacist and a consultant pharmacist. Uh, I own my own pharmacy and I've been out in the community trying to um, help educate the world. There were, uh, there were so many, especially young people in the community that I have met who feel that education has no place in their life. And I've been able to convince them to go to school, come out. They were thinking about the education, um, how much it costs to go to school. I've, I've been telling them about the forgive me package that once you graduate from college, if you join the county or the, uh, some kind of government, your, your school loan is forgiven. You do not have to pay it back. And I enjoy helping people and I enjoy helping students. I've helped a lot of students to go on to college and I'm very happy about that. And I'd like to continue to do that if I can. Yeah, that's great. Um... Wow, yeah, so like Tone said, you have a really impressive resume. Even your little intro that you just gave yourself is awesome. I have a lot of questions, um, but before we dive deep into it, um, what made you get interested in um, pharmacology and go into that field? Well, I, um, I originally started out wanting to be a lawyer. <laughs> and uh, I thought that would be the best way to help people. I think, um, person of color, they seem to get the, get the uh, low end going into, into the courts and things. And I thought I could be a great lawyer. But at the time, there were no women lawyers. <laughs> so I, um, I decided to, uh, I took a lot of tests and, and, and healthcare field seemed to appear to be my best bet. And pharmacy, it's a, uh, it's a way to talk to people educate people, you can still help to diagnose what's right or wrong with them without actually going into the human body. I thought that was best for myself. Yeah, so it sounds like you knew your goal was to want to help people, but then you kind of just like tweaked it based on kind of the different options that you had. That's correct. I don't like the gore of the, um, I don't think I do good in an emergency room with everybody bleeding to death and I <laughs> I don't think <laughs> I wouldn't last a day I don't think yeah that's fair enough I don't know if I would either <laughs> um what was your education pathway to get to where you are today 
Oh, you, you, you well, you, you get you get into school, um, and you go through what you go through. I use counselors to go through, so that they could get me into uh, UC San Francisco. I did get a scholarship to go into uh, to go to school, which was very nice. Uh, that was the main thing to get a. Uh, so I did not have to pay for my education, basically. I did work while I was in school so I could live. <laughs> and then from UC, I went into the Geriatric Institute also to get my geriatric degree residency so I could um, help people who are um, over 65 who were basically left on their own. They don't have anyone to help them out at all. And so I ended up like a geriatric uh, consult and, and a consultant pharmacist. That's great. Now, I'm, I'm going to bring you back to before you started pharmacy. Uh, what was life like for you in Massachusetts growing up on that uh, in the East Coast? And what drove you to come this way to the West? Okay, well, I, I, I grew up in a small educational town, religious educational town called Andover and I um, and it's a beautiful town Everybody, they stress education and they stress religion and I had a friend who came to the um, California she fell in love and she wanted me to be her maid of honor so I, I came out to California in the middle of the winter saw the sun shining the blue oceans, and I said, wow, <laughs> I've been out here ever since. <laughs> Go home for Christmas because I can't take California in the wintertime. It doesn't seem like Christmas out here. But uh, but that's what brought me out here, my friend. That's awesome. Um, since I don't ever ask a lady's age, so... When you were when you were coming up, how much you know uh, systemic racism did you face trying to get into the position that you're in? Considering the fact that you own a pharmacy, I'm pretty sure you had to step over some pretty big mountains to get there. I think okay, I get stepped on a lot. All right, I think um, I think uh, nobody prepares you for anything, so you don't know um, you don't really know what racism is unless somebody like in the movies they're calling people names so if they call you a bad name then you know it's racist but um out uh in reality they're not calling anybody any names they're just pushing people aside um but i uh i just wanted to um, help people so what you do, I just took it for, I started taking it for granted. I would, the world said I, I sh maybe I shouldn't, but I just took it for granted that that was the, what they call racism. <laughs> and I accepted it. And that was okay with me. Is that's what it is, that's what it is. But I, I felt I had to continue, I had to finish my education and then I had to get out there and help somebody. All right. And that's all I did. I love your vibe, Mama. You just got, got the vibe. You got that go get it vibe. I love it. Miss Maggie B on you. 
yeah, I would have to agree. That is an amazing attitude in the face of something that is awful and unfortunately still going on today. Um, how have you seen like any changes in kind of that? Obviously, there's a lot of overt racism today still, but have you seen a change in kind of the covert racism that you're talking about where people are just kind of pushed aside or, or disregarded? Well, COVID-19 is a, um, uh, that's a big one. And we're all being pushed aside. All little stores and um, the independence of America is being um, shoved downward. Like I said, last March, uh, we had, uh, we had a, a robbery in our store and we felt that was a, a big thing. And then all of a sudden they closed. All, they had a lockdown in California. All the, like, the restaurants around me and everything else were closed and nobody had any money. Uh, thank goodness for the, um, for those uh, stimulus checks that started coming out. People are still out of money. And I, I guess hopefully um, our new president will make sure they'll, they'll send us something. People don't want to wear masks. Um, they don't want to wear the face shields. I think the face shields are, are a better alternative when, when eating in a restaurant. But uh, uh, what can I say? We're in a very uh, dismal place right now. Um, Ms. Maggie, I don't mean to interrupt, but in your estimation, do you think this thing is ever going to slow down? I mean, you're working in pharmacies. So <laughs> when is this going? When do you think this is going to take a, a turn for the better? <laughs> well, it's not going to take a turn for the better until after everybody gets a shot. I got my first vaccine shot last week. And so the whole, my business, everybody has gotten their shots. Uh, people on the streets have, are, are just getting their shots now. The clinics are giving out shots in Berkeley and I believe in Oakland also. They have a list out for people to sign up for a shot. Uh, but it's, it, it probably won't be over for, for um, at least till um, July or August. They, say, they hope that everybody will have their shots within six months. What would you say, because um, there, I feel like there's been a lot of misinformation about the vaccine and just kind of a lack of information in general. Um, so I know there are a lot of people, like even people in my life who are nervous to get the vaccine. Um, so what would you say to, to those people since you just said in order to end the pandemic, we need, everyone needs to get vaccinated. So what, what would you say to people um, of different ages and from different communities who are nervous about um, getting the vaccine? I believe 400,000 people have died due to the due to the virus. That alone would make me want to get the vaccine. The vaccine has been tested. Yes, there are some people that are allergic to the vaccine, but uh, that's the best prognosis for life and living. I see that Trader Joe's is giving their um, is giving their um, employees money as a stimulus to take the shot. 
and I think some other some other stores are doing that also. Uh, but with people dying all around you, I would think that's the only way to go. I would convince them. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, I think that's, yeah, I do understand the, the hesit hesitation since it didn't come out of nowhere, the vaccine, but it kind of seems like it did because so much else was going on. And then all of a sudden we had all these vaccines, but um, they were being developed for, I believe the, the last year is what I've read. Um, so yeah, I like what you said about that. Um, shifting gears a little bit. So you've been involved in Girls Inc. of Alameda and the Boys and Girls Club. So since we all here work in, in youth development and education, can you talk a little bit about what attracted you to those organizations? Our children, our future leaders, uh, they need, uh, we all need a, um, some kind of a, uh, impetus. So we need a uh, motivation in order to keep going. And we start off as, as children thinking. And uh, I believe that if we can put the right ideas in our, in the children's heads, they will, they will uh, see their service, see how wonderful they are. I went to Africa last year to Zimbabwe and I was shocked to pieces. The young children in the churches, they all wanted to continue their education and they knew what they wanted to be. Even when they're 10, 11, 12 years old, they, they told you they want to be a medical doctor or they wanted, they, everybody had a purpose in life. And the churches over there really do a wonderful job encouraging them to, um, to want to be a, um, oh, I guess a service to their communities out there doing something. That was, that was a, that's one place I always wanted to go and it was really a, really mind-blowing in a sense. You, you, saw, you saw Africa as one thing, and then you see people with, the girls with water, they'd walk a mile just to get water for their home. It, it was, uh, Dedication, service. Uh, I didn't see anything like the, the stereotypes of Africa that I kept thinking it was like. It was beautiful. Yeah, I think the same thing in, in this country. Like they blind us or something, away from uh, away from being together. Um, I've seen that before too, so that's kind of just hit my heart. I apologize, uh -huh. but yeah, I, I've been out there before, and it just wasn't anything that was pervade to me you know it's completely the opposite and it was mind-blowing and very inspirational so thank you that's all i wanted to say all good yeah no that's great um yeah going to other places and seeing how people view being in a community and community service as a way of life um is definitely definitely different from here or a lot of communities here at least so how do you kind of try to instill that mindset in the youth that you work with um, in the U.S.? Oh, you, you talk to people you ask them what would, what would you like to be what do you like to do first you start off with what do you really like to do and they'll tell you this, the young children are quite open uh, they tell you what they like to do they like to play with this or they like to play with that some, some of them are onto these little um, PlayStations and things like that. And then you ask them, do you know how the PlayStation really works? And they might not know. And some do, 
I said, would you like to discover how it works when you do this like this and that like that and get them interested in how it's work, the working of it. And then once they start to get interested in the working of it, then they get into, um, they, hey, this, they, can, they can explain it to somebody else. So they'll explain it to their brother or sister that, hey, this goes like this and that. Once you get them interested in what they're doing, they, they, they go from there. It's, it's a learning thing. You have to make them want to understand how, what they're doing, with, whether they're walking, stepping, uh, how something moves and things. What happens with a bicycle? What happens with when you're throwing a curveball or whatever? Playing basketball. Um, get, get them into a... Um, Oh, get them into a, how do you call it? I can't think of the right words. Get them curious. Curiosity is something beautiful. Once they get curious, they'll start to figure it out. They do, they do a wonderful job. You know what we're dealing with in the positions that we're in, Dr. Pam? It's okay. the whole fake it till you make it campaign. Uh, and so a lot of these kids are stuck in that mentality, and that's what we're trying to break. Uh, what they don't realize is that their hand-eye coordination is crazy because of video game. You know, like, they don't understand that. They just think it's just a game. But I'm like, if you take some time to think about what you're actually doing, that hand-eye coordination can transition into a job. These are, you're, you have skills that you don't know of because of that whole, like I said, fake it till you make a campaign, can't take hell. Transferable skills, like Max said, you know, these are these are things that we're trying to get across. So, you know, uh, especially when it, if it comes to pharmacy, like I should have did that. Like I was a great drug dealer. Uh, I hate to say it, like but I'm not afraid of my past. So I don't mind speaking on my past. But uh, like I wish somebody would have told me about pharmacology. Yeah, I just I wanted to speak on that because that really touched me what you said. They have a lot of skills that they don't tap into. Yeah, thank you for that tone. Um, so Dr. Pam, I have a question. Um, so working in the school district right now, we're obviously all doing it um, remotely, virtually, all over Zoom like this. Um, and it's been challenging. It's hard to engage young people and students um, over this platform. So do you have any advice or words of wisdom for how to engage students when there's kind of one more layer of distance? Uh, using uh, teaching school virtually, do the children get to um, talk with the, with the teacher? Or? They do. Yeah, a lot of the students, they don't want to um, come off camera or come off mic. So a lot of times it's just like a bunch of black squares in the classroom. They seem to be a little burnt out by Zoom school and also be a little shy. Are there any um, games that you play? Are there any... Um, Oh, hmm. let's see. What kind of questions do you ask your students when you, when, uh, what about, they're teaching math, right? Or, oh. I'm trying to think of what kind of um, questions do you give the students over the, um, now the uh, like they were on an iPad or a, a computer or something, right? Mm -hmm. Are there any oh. things, are there any, are there any interactive games they can play? Well, there are, there are, there are a bunch of interactive games, but like 
Maggie said, just considering the fact that they're so burnt out, they're not even interested in in coming off camera, even speaking. Like we have a legit money club that we run, and sometimes it's very hard for us to pull them out of their shell just to speak for a moment because they're so tired of this, or they have situations at home that is uh, stopping their progress. So it's a uh, it's an uphill battle for us, to say the least. Yeah, I was hoping that the rappers in the world would one day start to say, um, start to um, give rap as a um, educational tool. They could do it for history. They could do it for math. They could do it for lots of different things. The kids repeat the, what the rapper says and they could learn the whole history of the world in no time at all if we could get, over, get them on our side to, um, tell them that who discovered the country and who did this and what did that they could they could wrap the whole thing <laughs> and I think it would, it would it would pull half the people in the lower income areas out and it's funny else that even the other cultures like rap and even some of the high economic people they love rap too it's not a um it's it's not a low income thing it's used by everybody I'm surprised to see yeah. when you um, start talking to people. They love the music. Can they give the music an educational like, tool? Something to sing to and repeat after? Yeah, we've had MCs like that in the past. Um, and nowadays, it's all about perception. And uh, We have to find something that's going to make me want to listen to you. Right? Now you're sitting there talking. Uh, today we're going to talk about um, math. Two and two is four. Um, what 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 makes you interesting over the air? In a classroom, you grab my attention. Now on in front of me, what makes you what you say something I want to learn? The teacher will need to um, speak in a. Um, more inviting tone, more interesting tone. They can't just go drone like they do in a classroom, lots of the teachers. They just go on and on and on and you're just sitting there. Um, and kids, they, they need that curiosity. Um, Pete, what makes this this? Okay, chemistry. What's, what makes oil float on water? Can you go into density and things like that? When they see the, the oil on the water, they get more interested. Something is floating on water. Okay. I've always wondered that. I always wondered why oil floated in water. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have to make the words, I'm trying to say, make it interesting to the world. Okay. you Because um, even just watching TV, what, what, what shows do you watch? You watch the shows that, that make you feel like you're a part of it. You're, it's interesting, all right? I, I don't know what to say. <laughs> if, can I, um, no, this is great. Pete Ellis. Yeah, I, I think that is absolutely awesome in reference to what you're saying. Um, I'm a technologist, but I also go into the classroom and sometimes I'm there ahead of time before the teacher actually starts. And then I even know my struggles in itself. And one of the things I'm finding, and I'm not saying that this, um, 
you know, is 100%, I'm sorry, my, actually my camera's not on, my apologies, um, that everything's worked. But for example, I teach anywhere from first grade all the way up through high school. Oh, and so the, the first graders are always more engaged. They just want to learn, right? And so as they, they get older, you know, as you get to middle school, there's a little bit of a, um, 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 not as eager as far as the learning. And then the high schoolers, it's, it's not, I don't want to say that they're not eager to learn, but one of the things I'm, I'm literally just trying to implement in my class, right? Because I asked them, what is it that they want to learn? Because I want to engage them, right? And so building, say, for example, building a website, well, that may not necessarily always be the most engaging thing for a high schooler in the beginning it is, but then some people kind of fall off. So we're trying to figure out and working with the teacher and the kids, trying to figure out what makes them engaged, right? So that's that's the challenge as well and trying to get them to tell me what's engaging to them, but then also me trying to apply my lesson to something that would be applicable to how they can make money, um, how this applies to you finding a job in the future. So I'm really trying to change my uh, conversation with them to really be about them and what they want, because sometimes they can't even articulate to me what it is they want, right? So I'm trying to figure out, well, what excites a kid? Okay, they like to make money. <laughs> they don't necessarily want to work hard in making the money. Okay. <laughs> so it kind of got to work in their realm because I think sometimes even as us older, we get into our ways. Well, they should want to, they need to work hard, blah, blah, blah. And we're dealing, dealing with, unfortunately, a different generation. And if we're trying to cover the masses, that mentality and that thought process just unfortunately is not going to work. I mean, it should, you should want to go out and work hard and do what you're supposed to do and be a you know productive member of society. Um, but unfortunately, we are where we're at. And so that's just been one of my struggles in trying to get them engaged. And so I'm literally, literally like right now, um, implementing, just trying to apply what it is they like, you know, bring it to them what they like. So I'm going to start, not saying it's going to work, but I'm trying. And I think the, from a teacher's perspective, and I don't consider myself a teacher, the people that do this job, you know, from nine to three, those are the teachers. Um, but, um, you know, just, just trying to keep them engaged and figuring out what that is, but I have to be willing to do that. And there are that, you know, it's a two-sided thing. So one, trying to figure out what they want, but then also finding people that want to go to that extra step. I run into people that are just, they're not really willing to do that. And we're in a different generation. The kids are different. It's not like it was 20, 30 years ago. You know, it, it's just not. And we as adults have to, this is, the field that we want to be in, then we have to be adaptable because this is, things have changed. And then with this whole tech, um, Zoom and having to teach online, um, you know, I think that we're missing something I'm, I'm trying to title and push out there is etiquette while online. You know, it was a young man in my class a couple of weeks ago, he's eight years old, he had a shirt off. And so I said, young man, I said, when you come to class or school, is your shirt off? And he goes, no. I said, well, then you need to go put your shirt on in my class. Now, interestingly enough, his mother was sitting there and she goes, see, I told you, you need to have a shirt on. And, you know, I've told the story to people and they're like, well, his mom should know. Well, guess what? If she's never been on a Zoom call, then maybe she didn't know. You know, to me, that sounds completely ludicrous that she didn't know. But guess what? I know, I understand that that is totally possible that she just didn't understand that. You know, how many Zoom calls has she been on? Has she ever been on a Zoom call? So 
anyway, I just, you know, I think people just have to be willing. I think it's, um, it's patience. We're in the process of this change and no one has the answers. And I think that people just have to be willing. The adults have to be willing to try new things. Um, so anyway, I'll be quiet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That was great. That was great, Key. Appreciate that. Go ahead, Griff. The floor is yours, my brother. I appreciate that, Tony. Um, I just want to say, like, it's hard. <laughs> like, it's no getting around it. Like, it's hard. Like, it's already hard, like, in the classroom to get kids engaged. And it's especially hard online. But, like, I mean, like, Dr. Pam was putting it so well. Like, it's about the kids, right? You can try to tell them all these things about your life and how you came up. But they don't uh, – somebody put me on game a minute ago. They said, I don't care about what you know until I know that you care. You know what I mean? Like, you got to show the kids that you care, you know? How do you get them interested? It's, I forgot what I was going to say there, but yeah, you know. And that's real still. I mean, you know, Dr. Pam, obviously you can tell that we're just like hungry to find a way to to get through to our children. You know what I mean? We're starving. And like Keith said earlier, as adults, it's, it's hard for egos to pass through even. People to get over their egos, to be able to learn and open up their minds to work together. Um, the reason this thing has worked so well for us is because me, Mag, and Dwayne, we just have a co constant flow of just great activity. So it's just, it, it's easy for us to keep this thing going, but how do we open up the door to make sure everybody's comfortable? So that's what, I think that's the hardest thing that we all face is trying to work as one unit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, God, that was so much awesome information. So many awesome voices that we have on this call. I'm really thankful for this interview today. Um, I want to talk a little bit about leadership because Dr. Pam, you've held a few leadership positions, um, like being the president of the Alameda County Pharmacists Association. So what do you think it takes to be a good leader? I think it takes vision um, and it takes teamwork. Uh, being able to share the stage with everybody. I think that the most important thing is uh, your priorities. You're willing to talk it over with somebody else and uh, to come to a decision. I think it makes it so much nicer for everybody. It's like a round table discussion um, where everybody gets their input and all the ideas, I just list all the ideas that everybody wants to do down. Now, if you list them all down, we all just discuss what, which way we want to do them. Everyone has different roles, different ideas. And then it's up to you to help to put them together in such a way that everybody gets to participate. When, uh, when you get people to participate and nobody's left out, it, it, it's, it's a very happy crowd of people. And you find that with children, I don't care what age group it is. You find it at home. I mean, if I know you and you know me and, and we're, you're, you're, just, you're left out over there in the corner because we're deciding things and we don't need your, your input because we know everything. <laughs> you're sitting over there all alone, feeling left out. And lots of people get angry, disgruntled. They'll walk out into a stone or a rock and might throw it to a window or something. If you get everybody to join in, like in a classroom, the way some teachers do, 
there are no disgruntled students. Everybody got their, their, their two cents in and everybody feels wonderful. Huh? And that's when you get a learning experience. And life is a learning experience, no matter how old we get, we still want to continue to keep learning, but we still want to keep smiling. We don't want to feel like we're in, uh, left out in the outside while the rest of the world is talking, you know? I think that's the most important part. Even if you didn't make the meeting, I can still call you up and say, I'm sorry, you missed the meeting, but you missed this part here. Are you interested in joining in with such and such? And you'll say either yes or no, but at least you got an invite, all right? You're not left out there. That's the main thing. Nice. Uh, you're in Berkeley. Me and Maggie and Dwayne, we're about to pull up on you one of these days. <laughs> you just have that, you know, you have that mother vibe. I just want to hug you through the Zoom. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just that love. I feel that energy. It's just, it's so infectious and contagious. And I, I'm, I'm going to take it all in and get sick with it for the rest of my life. So Tone wants to know, uh, am I too old to become a pharmacist? He says, asking for his brother who's listening in right now. How old is he? I can't speak to that. He's 40. Okay. He's 40. Okay, all right. Um, first of all, in order to become a pharmacist, um, math is important. Uh, you're going to have to go through um, math, algebra, and calculus. Okay? And I just want to let you know that. Now, the reason for that is there, there are a lot of things a drug enters the body, how quickly does it go through the body? How soon do you get the effects on, on, on the body? Little things like that, uh, a drug interaction, one gets ahead of the other one. When do I feel the questions the patient asks? Well, how soon will my drug start working? And why doesn't it work? You said it would work in within an hour. It did not work in an hour, why? And so you'll have to go through the profile and say that two drugs went through the same use the same enzyme to break it down. One drug went before the other one. So yours is waiting for the other one to be broken down. So we need to change the dosing schedule so that they won't interact. And so you'll get your effect within an hour instead of within three or four or five hours, things like that. You have to know something about, um, so that requires some math, all right? It will take you, it takes you normally uh, right now, some of the pharmacy schools are using a three-year schedule instead of four. That means you go to school all year round. Did you, did you, did you, um, if you have your prerequisites, you can apply, you can get through pharmacy school in um, three and, oh, I guess um, seven, oh, five to seven years, depending upon what your, um, what your schooling is all about. Yeah, he's already rethinking his life. Uh, yeah, as soon as you said math and algebra, and, and <laughs> he was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go find a construction job." <laughs> I was like, "No, nah, man, don't give up his dream, brother." But yeah, it does seem like it takes a lot to be in that field. I thought pharmacists just took the prescription, you know, handed the drugs over the counter, you pay for them, you go. Obviously, well, don't not. forget drugs are chemicals. The chemicals, and you have to do chemistry to find out what a chemical is. All right. So it's um, 
It's a little bit more than pushing pills from one bottle to another. It's, uh, it's understanding how the drug is made, what the molecule looks like, so you'll understand how it works in the body, how it interacts with some, some cultures over another culture. Now they've come up with genetics uh, and people are getting into genetic testing. With genetic testing, you will know in advance how a drug, whether you should take a certain drug or not, all right? Uh, there's a lot to it. I, I, mean, I really don't know what to say to that. Like, I've just, I've always had this view on what a pharmacist was. So obviously that view has been skewed over time. And just speaking to you today has given me more of an uh, understanding of how difficult it is to be a pharmacist. There's a lot of healthcare jobs out there. I'm sorry, what did you say, my dear? I said there's a lot of healthcare jobs out there. Awesome. So this has been a great conversation. Again, if anyone has a question for Dr. Pam, feel free to come off the mic or you can DM Tony or me and we can ask the question. How about you, Dwayne? I can see your mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have a question because we, we're working in conjunction with the Oakland Unified School District through a two-pay program, substance abuse harm reduction. And what I, when I came to this work of starting my own nonprofit and doing this, I just wanted to do my summer camps and, and career exploration and the mentoring and stuff. And so I had no idea we were going to walk through the lanes and enter into this partnership now of seven years with the Oakland Unified School District, working with youth to work-life balance them out, basically, so that they can shift and reduce using weed tobacco and drinking. But what I'm finding is that some of our kids, they got this sense of independence about them where they already think that they grown and they don't recognize what the drugs are doing to them. And you said, remember drugs are chemicals. Like how do we, how do we teach kids about uh, their genetics and the equilibrium. Like I have a cousin who, uh, when we was in college, he would drink and he'd be ready to fight everybody. And it was really because he was bipolar and nobody knew he was bipolar. So he automatically had a chemical disposition when it came to drinking. And so a lot of, I, I feel like, and you touch bases on some other things about education. What are things that we need to be giving our kids, like talking about genetics, talking about talking about uh, what what do you like, how's life, and those different types of things are not coming through in the curriculum. And I just, uh, if you can talk to folks in the chat about if they're dealing with somebody who has substance abuse, because you can't you can't beat it out of nobody. You can't. They have to make that connection. Say I can't do drugs and where I have to quit on their own. We can coach and model supportive, effective behavior for them. But can you talk a little bit about what uh, chemical disposition is and the equilibrium and how drugs can somewhat affect that? I believe everybody in the world 
likes to get what they call a high. I don't know whether anyone out there is religious or not, but like going into a, um, a church, mostly the Baptist churches that are out here, by the time you finish service, you've gotten a high. They're, um, the words of the minister, the songs of that gospel singing that, that goes right through you, lifts you up about a mile high. Um, the children and most of the churches are singing along and they, got, they have grins on their faces that, will, that their parents just don't know where they got those grins from. They're feeling good. And by the time you leave the church, everybody's feeling good. Now, if more children from the street could go into church and get that kind of a high, when they took a drug on the street, it wouldn't compare to the high they got in church. All right? And they wouldn't even want it anymore. The high you get from the drug, you take a, you take a drug, it stimulates your dopamine, your dopamine, it goes up, you get a quick kick. It lasts a very short time. It goes back down again. And all of a sudden, there you are, wondering, where'd that good feeling go? Um, they don't realize that um, what they get from church is better. The child that's in sports, he gets that ball in the basket. He gets a high. The high is from his achievement for getting the ball into the basket. The one who hits that baseball and hits it out, he gets a high. He hit the ball. There were so many highs we can get from within ourselves, feeling great about ourselves. Some families do it for their children on a regular basis, and some parents don't do it at all. They didn't get a high, so they don't even know what a high is. Okay, it's not their fault. It's just that they were brought up that way. Where you come home and you get a grade and you hand it to your parent and they say, oh, that's good. And they put your piece of paper over there. And someone else will say, wow, that's great. You got this, this, and that. They lift the child up, make them want to do better. Others expect more and just say, uh, well, make sure you do better next time. They don't give them any kind of a, um, oh, a positive feedback. Uh, it comes from the family lots of times. It comes from the school system lots of times. Um, but I think it basically is it's that high, that feeling of goodness and wellness that you get from being around friends. And uh, kids on the street, um, we go through, I did a talk on recidivism. That's, that is, that's just a continual cycle that we go through. Uh, we were thinking of children in jail. Uh, they get caught on the street with drugs, selling. They end up in jail. After they get out of jail, they go back to their old neighborhood because they have nowhere to go. They try to get a job. They have a record, so they can't get a job. So they get back into the vicious circle of selling drugs again. Um, they're not getting a high after a while, okay? They're selling drugs to survive. You're on a drug, you keep buying drugs and, and your body gets used to the medication 
So you need a higher dose in order to get the high that you got originally. The higher the dose you keep going on, next thing you know, you're a drug addict. You can't live without the drug, but you're not getting the high that you wanna have, so that makes you angry. You lash out at the world, and that could be anybody. Your brothers, your sisters, your parents, the people closest to you, you shut up, because now you are the most unhappy person in the world, all right? Uh, children, um, uh, love is a big word, <laughs> but it's a big high. I don't know whether I'm really ask, answering your question or not, um, but uh, children need, need to have achievements. Take that kid to the ballpark, even when he's a little kid, especially when he's a small one. Teach him how to ride that tricycle. Um, let them feel that there's something that I can do that makes me feel good, all right? If there were more people feeling the uh, experiences of um, achievement inside, there would be, we, would, we wouldn't have kids on the street anymore. But I've talked to quite a few children on the street tell me that I can't do that. If I go to school, I'm not gonna get a job. I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that. Uh, they're angry at the world. They, we need counselors out there that, that have a compassion. Uh, I guess like uh, that movie that, they, that we saw in a few years ago for the um, counselor that was in, oh, it, was a, it was a coach in Richmond, California that was teaching his kids to, um, to like school and to understand music and things like that. Um, we just need more, um, um, how do I say it? The drug is not the answer to getting a high, that's all. The kids have to understand that. Uh, genetic testing means that when uh, you, you could go, there's five million places that give genetic testing at this moment. You can find out what diseases are inherent in you and in your family, things that you could expect later on in your life. Uh, it's an excellent idea. And it's getting less expensive every day. Did I answer your question or do I, uh, did I get off? Yeah, you answered my question. I love the poetic metaphor of the way that you described it, like church and just um, comparing that to those small wins and small victories that many of us had and that some people don't receive. Like for me, I know in my family, I was able to go a little further because I graduated from elementary, got the claps, graduated from middle school, got claps and awards, graduated from high school, claps and awards. Graduated from undergrad, claps and awards. Graduated masters, claps and awards. Now on the doctor level, future claps and rewards, but several of my cousins, they have not experienced small victories. And so until you can uh, win and until you can achieve the small victory, you'll never have a measuring stick to keep going or that or develop that intrinsic motivation that only you can pull it out of you to get to that next level. And so I think that was beautiful, very poetic 
the way that you summed it up and described it, because I just feel like our young folks, they plan with these drugs. And then I'm really concerned about the ones that in this day and age still go and buy drugs from the corner. And I'm like, you got stores like, uh, and at least if you go to the store and get it from the person who has insurance, if something comes up wrong with you, at least you got a lawsuit but you buy it from a street pharmacist in 20 in 2021. Like, so kind of like, I <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's just like, I'm really concerned. And I, and you also mentioned earlier, the pop culture, what folks are listening to the music and the artists they're throwing. I, I, I feel like they throwing the seven deadly sins directly in their face. Uh, through the music and I, ju I just feel like our young people are not allowing many of them, not all, many of them are not allowing themselves to be coached and they're growing up too fast and it's kind of scary. And it's not too late. Do you have activities for young people? Yeah, we do. I, I'm, I work every day. <laughs> I know, but what do you do with them? Oh, so we, uh, in social distancing, we started a tennis and rowing club. So we have that uh, every Sunday. We have our legit money club every Wednesday. Uh, me and Miss Ellis, we're kicking off the technology club. Uh, we, I have uh, an after-school male leadership program with Fremont Unified School District, a group of middle schoolers every Tuesday. Um, and then uh, bouncing around from these schools, getting in contact directly with the one-on-ones with kids in this virtual learning space, especially when most of us uh, that's working in the tobacco prevention space, we get, we, we automatically get the youngsters that were having academic problems, we're having uh, drug issues, violence issues. And so now they're not that group of kids that we normally get and can and catch them on campus. They're not even showing up to the virtual school. So it's really like, how do you use all of your creative talents, your voice and create widgets in this virtual space to get them to show up and to participate? Like sometimes we have young folks jump in here and participate in, in this, in this, uh, career exploration space. And so just trying to be creative, remember why you do the work, uh, thinking outside the box, thinking about uh, what did you used to do when you were a kid before there were all these video games? And that's another big issue too. The video games is keeping kids out of participating in normal youth development type of activities and stuff like that. And the cell, the cell phone use, that cell phone use too, like uh, folks, folks, this is the new babysitter. Parents don't even check it, don't even know what their kid's doing on those things. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a, we can, this conversation go on and on. I talk too much, I'm be quiet. No, why don't you make an educational video game? I mean, I mean, somebody like yourself, you could put through educational video, right? Yep. The possibility is endless. I think I think through the lens of an educational entrepreneur, that's what I consider myself. And so I'm always thinking about uh, ways to 
forecast, look at what's trending, and also ask myself, what am I ex- actually excited about in this space? What do, what is my bandwidth and uh, threshold for uh, self gratification? Uh, work. Where am I at? Where do I know when it's time for me to switch it up and do something else? Because I've all, I've outgrown something and it might be time to adapt and change and switch it up. So, yeah. This has been educational a- video games. I mean, they're all educational as it is. Uh, they, they're learning. Like I said, they're learning things that we never would have been able to learn growing up. I mean, this is just they're way ahead. Uh, but I understand what you mean. I just, that would be a, a great idea. Dr. Pam, um, hi, my name is Camille. I'm sorry, I had to jump off and on. I've been, you know, handling work meetings at the same time. Seem like they're always happening the same time as this. Um, and I've really been enjoying listening to what you're um, talking about today. And I just want to ask you, what courses would you advise um, maybe a student who's um, in going into high school and college if they're interested in becoming a pharmacist. You may have said this, but I, I had to keep jumping off to attend another meeting. Math. Okay. English, English is very important um, mm-hmm. because they need to um, learn to uh, how to express themselves. Sure. And math is extremely important in chemistry. Okay. Biology. Um, those would be the things to get into. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, I hear that a lot. Thank you for coming on, Camille. We appreciate that. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. I had to keep jumping off. Thank you, whoever's (laughs) allowed me back in multiple times. Uh, I appreciate you. (laughs) No worries. No worries. Yeah, we have a lot of (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I, I heard that a lot. Like, my daughter is wants to get into uh becoming a surgeon so uh i hear that that math is like a really really big key to uh that position and i don't understand why but because i'm not never going to be in that field but uh yeah math seems to be the key ingredient to doing what you guys Oh, Dr. Pam, just one more question. What schools would you advise? Are there particular schools that are geared towards people who would want to become a pharmacist or enter that field? Oh, well, in the Bay Area, now at Toro University, it's in Richmond. Oh, okay. Uh, you said Arturo? It's called T T O U R O. Oh, okay, Toro. U R O. Okay. Oh, thank you. Okay. And then Xavier University of Louisiana and Texas Southern got some awesome pharmacy programs. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Okay. Thank you. Well, you know what, Dr. Pam, Dwayne never lets us go over time. So this is the first, this is the first time that we, he, we're just really comfortable staying over our regular time limit. That's just because you're such a great guest and uh, just a great person in general. So, Ms. Maggie, do you have anything to say? Agreed. This has been an amazing interview. I want to thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. Um, yeah, I'm leaving this all smiles and just feeling very inspired. So, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> so, normally we give our guests 30 seconds to have the floor before we uh, shut down. So, is there anything you want to share with the people? This is your time. 
take this platform, use it. Uh, 30 seconds on you, Doc. 30 seconds. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh, all I can say is thank you for letting me uh, be on your program. Oh, don't feel don't don't feel like I'm putting you on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. I can see it. You know? But you know, just we always give our, our our guests just a chance to just you know shed some love, and if you want to promote yourself and push your push your brand, that'll be a chance. So. The only thing we want to push is to say no to drugs and to say no to smoking. Uh, and say no to pizza, son. Yes. All right. Thank you so much, mama. No smoking, no drugs. Do math. Come up with something better. Be better. Find that dopamine and, and make it small. So thank you again, Dr. Pam. And okay, as, thank as we you. do it, yes, yes, thank you so much, Mom. All right, thanks a lot. <laughs> as we do at the end of our, all our shows, is give thanks and love to all those who take the time to join us. We are very humbled to have this platform to share with you. As always, you can follow us at We The Scenario Podcast, at Mentoring on the Fly, and at We Lead Ours on IG. Special shout out to our two paid team and OUSD for all the support. We stream on all platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and YouTube. Thanks again to all your host, Tony Siona, alongside the incredible Miss Maggie B. This is scenario. See you next week, family. Peace out. Thank you. <laughs>